0: A salute to the colours on St. Patrick's Day with the Army Band of the Southern Command and the Cork City Choral Society, the Radio Air and Light Orchestra, the Radio Air and Singers, Joseph McNally Tenor and, as readers, Chris Curran and Ivan Hanley. The narrator is Joseph O'Dea, script by Norris Davidson, production P.J. O'Connor. <laughs>
1: ...national colours of green and white and orange. For them, apart from the honour due at all times... ...a special salute is reserved. The salute to the colours. The troops are paraded and the colours are marched on before them. Marched on to be recognised because in ancient warfare... ...the colours were rallying points in the general melee... ...and it was important that every man should know his flag. So today, with words of command in Irish the troops are formally paraded to recognise and salute the colours of Ireland. What do we know about these colours? Very little. A family crest, an emblem, a war cry. These have their story, but the national colours of Ireland have come through no orderly development from a herald's design to a ceremonial flag. The colours appeared and disappeared, changed shape and composition and even hue. There was the green flag and then the blue flag, but the authority of the colours lies in what they are, what they mean. They have been and they are a rallying point. They are Ireland at the Olympic Games. They were Ireland at the Battle of Ockram, where it is recorded that they were seen in horizontal stripes. They went overseas with the wild geese, Irish soldiers who were so called because, the legend says, Their spirits came back to Ireland in the form of great flights of wild geese. The story of the colours is bound up with the story of those brave soldiers whose swords were always at the service of the weak if it meant striking back at the power that had struck Ireland down. The Low Countries, as Holland and Belgium were then called, knew these Irish soldiers well, and France knew them. France knew their gallantry on her side and guessed at the heartbreak of exiles. Long afterwards, a French woman of Irish descent, Augusta Holmes, sang of them as revengeful and happy by swift turns. In the campaigns in Europe, the Irish exiles fought under their colours with such impossible and desperate gallantry that they could turn and destroy superior troops advancing against them in greater numbers with the formality, precision and inevitability of the parade ground warfare of those days. The betrayal that followed the signing of the Treaty of Limerick was a bitter memory with these exiles, and when they fought by the side of the French, the cry, Remember Limerick, shattered the rigid lines at Fontenoy. colours were overseas. Preparations were being made at home in Ireland to renew the struggle. The blacksmiths hammered horseshoes by day, but by night they made heads for the long pikes of the United Irishmen. A weapon to pierce with, a weapon to hack with, a weapon with which to drag a man from his horse. Ball and shot were cast. Powder was smuggled in from ships. The great rising of 1798 was approaching. The preparations were furtive. Secret, but the green of the colours was stirring again through the country. Oh, and tell me,
2: Shaw Pharaoh, tell me why you hurry so they won't and listened, and his cheeks were wrong and yew. I have orders from the captain, get you ready quick and soon, for the lights must be together at the rising of the moon. Oh, and tell me, Shaw Pharaoh. a river right well known to you and me. One word more, the sea will and whistle up the marching tune, with a bike up your shoulder by the rising of the moon. Out from many a mud cabin eyes were watching through the night, many of every was throbbing for the blessed morning light. Must down the, the valleys, valleys like a banshees lonely groan, And a thousand flames were flashing at the rising of the there moon. There beside the singing moon. river, That dark mass of men was seen, Far above the shining weapons hung their own beloved tree. Dead to every foe and traitor, Forward strike the marching tune. And with all my boys For freedom,
3: tis the rise.
1: It was now that the colours of the flag were seen standing vertically, perhaps out of compliment to the French, whose tricolour is vertical. But the French flag was never a flag of unity, and the rising had shown that there could be unity throughout the country, and this the colours with their orange and green symbolised. Help was always to come from France. Help did come, but ill-luck and ill-management always prevented this aid from carrying the day. However, France was an old ally, and France had freed herself under a tricolor and to the tune of Sa'ira, later to an air sung by the marchers from Marseilles in the French Revolution. 1798 was followed by that of Robert Emmett in 1803. Robert Emmett was a young student of Trinity College, Dublin. In his spare time he studied war and the weapons of war so successfully that he worked out a plan for the capture of Dublin, which even today could scarcely be improved. But he was compelled by an accident caused by a drunken workman to attack sooner than he had intended, and a faithless messenger failed to alert his supporters outside the city young Robert Emmett was captured, tried, publicly hanged, and afterwards decapitated at the age of 23. His youth, his romantic story, and the gallantry of his attempt to succeed where the rising of 1798 had failed has held the imagination of every Irishman since then. After being condemned to death, he made an address to the court which is a model of restraint and clarity, and it ends thus.
0: I acted as an Irishman, determined on delivering my country from the yoke of a foreign and unrelenting tyranny, and from the more galling yoke of a domestic faction which is its joint partner and perpetrator in the Parasite, from the ignominy of existing with the exterior of splendour and conscious depravity. It was the wish of my heart to extricate my country from this doubly riveted depravity. I wished to place her independence beyond the reach of any power on earth. I wished to
1: exalt you to that proud station in the world. Emmett was silent for a moment in the stifling courthouse, darkened by the September night, and with these words he closed his speech.
0: I have but one request to make at my departure from this world. It is the charity of its silence. Let no man write my epitaph, for as no man who knows my motives dare now vindicate them, let not prejudice nor ignorance asperse them. Let me repose in obscurity and peace and my tomb remain uninscribed until other times and other men can do justice to my character. When my country takes our place among the nations of the earth, then and not till then, let my epitaph be written. I have done.
1: And to this day there is no inscription, for his grave is known with no certainty. The fight, the struggle went, as we would now say, underground. Who, knowing Emmett's motives, would have then dared to vindicate them with large forces in open combat? The colours were furled. The voices of the leaders were silent. 1848, saw what was probably the first ceremonial episode in the history of the colours when Thomas Francis Mar brought back from France a tricolour of green and white and orange, which was said to have been sewn together for him by a group of ladies in Paris. This tricolour was made of rich material and fringed with gold lace. It was a flag for display on great occasions and was believed to have been in Dublin as late as 1913 but the days of the formal battle array in Ireland were over when Ma brought his flag from France. Two terrible famines had left the country prostrate. Ma from Waterford was of the new generation of revolutionaries. He was born 20 years after Emmett died. In 1848, he was condemned to death for his revolutionary propaganda at home and abroad, but he was reprieved and escaped to America where, on the outbreak of the Civil War, he raised the original Irish Brigade for the Federal Army. We have his own words to describe the advance from Centerville with the Fighting 69th. Again, the colours were overseas.
0: As they neared the Confederate army, it retreated into the village and then out of it towards Centerville, leaving it to be peacefully entered a short time after by the forces from Arlington Heights and the encampments beyond that and Alexandria and beyond it. At twelve o'clock, the green flag was planted upon the deserted ramparts of the Confederates at Germantown. The stars and stripes were lifted opposite to it at a distance of fifteen paces, and between the two beautiful and inspiring symbols, one of the old home and the other of their country, the 69th passed in triumph, hats and caps waving on the bayonet points, and an Irish cheer such as never before shook the woods of old Virginia, swelling and rolling far and wide into the gleaming air. At four o'clock on the afternoon of the next day, Sherman's brigade was ordered up to relieve the regiments that had been under fire for five hours or more. The 69th led the way, and as they hurried up the hill, the elasticity and enthusiasm of their race seemed to pervade them thoroughly. Of those thousand men, sweeping on to battle through choking clouds of dust, and under that smiting sun, there was not one but carried himself right gallantly, Not one but did not feel the honour of his race and of its military character was staked that hour upon the conduct of the 69th, and who, feeling this, and lifting his eye in rapture to the green flag as it danced above the rushing column, did not fear to meet the thrusts of battle with a fearless heart. There were few of the 69th who failed to confess and ask forgiveness on that day. Everyone, officers as well as privates, prepared for death. Sincerely and devoutly they made their peace with God. This is the secret of their courage, and the high, bright spirit with which they bore all the hardships, the privations, the terrors, and the chastisement of the battle. It was in truth an affecting sight, that of strong, stalwart, rugged men, all upon their knees, with heads uncovered, all with hands clasped in prayer, one by one with the good dear priest, who, seated at the foot of an old bare tree, against which some of our boys had spread for him an awning of green branches, heard the confessions of the poor fellows, and bid them be at peace and fearless. Long as I live, I shall never forget that scene. It was not less impressive than that of Father O'Reilly's passing along our line as we knelt on one knee with bayonets fixed, and the final blessing was imparted. Of the subsequent events concerning the advance from Centerville, the battle, and the retreat, the world has heard enough. We yielded to their batteries, and despite of every effort and determination, were compelled to do so. It was impossible for men to override that tempest. Three times did the 69th launch itself against it. Three times, having plunged head-foremost into its deadliest showers, was it hurled back. We beat their men. Their batteries beat us. That is the story of the day.
1: was the 19th century. At home in Ireland, the new century saw, coming into the open, the freedom movement that had gained strength in secret. The Irish language was being revived. Writers were exciting the thought of the country. The emblem was the sunburst, now seen in the cap badges of Irish soldiers and sailors. The rising of the moon had seen one fight. The dawning of the day was now to see the struggle moving into the open. The sunburst emblem was a term of derision in the mouths of the unsympathetic but it was a symbol of new life for those who thought they saw the colours stirring again in the dawn wind of the day that was to come. freedom affected everyone writers poets workmen artists politicians farmers and fishermen it meant freedom to live freedom for all to live apart and independently the leaders were dreamers but dreamers who had read and absorbed the practical lessons of history dreamers who had studied the musketry manuals the leaders were poets who stirred the awakening country The leaders were minstrels who sang of the days that had been and of the day that was to come. The sun burst out of the Irish Sea on the Easter day of 1916 and dreamers, workers, poets and minstrels, they went to war. fell. As a military action against superior force, the rising of 1916 was a failure, but its inspiration meant the Ireland of today. Again, the freedom movement went underground. No colors, no marching, but reorganization. And then, unpredictable and clever, swift and unexpected as the raids of the rapparees, the guerrilla war began against an army raised to battle strength. No colours in those commando struggles, but the colours were remembered, and in those days was often heard a simple and plaintive air with unpretentious words which is now almost forgotten. Here it is, enshrined, as it were, in a martial setting to enclose a relic of the past. colours were seen through the centuries, improvised, varying in composition and design, but always the rallying point. So the flag was folded, so it flew again. In the Constitution of Ireland, the colours appear with no preamble and no declamatory phrases. Article 7 of the Constitution simply states the national flag is the tricolour of green, white and orange. It is not the formal history of the colours that is important. That is a history that can never be completely and accurately written. What is important is that Irishmen gathered round a raised symbol in the confused tide of ancient battles. The colours were formulated in the Constitution for International Recognition, but for the country itself the tricolour has its own meaning and associations. And these are the colours that we honour in Ireland, Honor in this program from Ireland, and honor in a ceremonial and military sense. This is a salute to the Irish colors on St. Patrick's Day.